We're supposed to work like we don't have children and parent like we don't have a job. Wow. And that can really weigh on you. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you that come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. Now, I'm really lucky in life to have a great group of friends, and these friends are just not doing everyday things. They're doing incredible things and helping other people do that as well. Now, one of these friends is a guest I have on the show today. She has a new book out that I can't wait for you to hear about. And she has something exciting as well for you to discover when you pre-order the book. So I want you to hang around for that as well. I'm excited. And remember, I always talk about how pre-orders really help authors, orders really help authors. And as an author myself, I know how much hours and time and energy goes into writing a book. So when one of my friends puts in that energy, puts in that effort, I love to support them with all my heart and all my joy. And I love that our community does the same. But today's guest is none other than Jenna Kutcher, born and raised in Minnesota, wife, mother, and entrepreneur who aims for two things daily, helping others wake up to life and staying in comfy pants. (laughs) Creator and host of the top-rated Gold Digger podcast, she's helped thousands redefine success and chase bold dreams through her decade-long work as a leading online personality and educator. Welcome to the show, Jenna Kutcher. And today we're talking about her new book, How Are You Really? Jenna, thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, Jay. This genuinely feels like such a dream come true. I'm getting so many brownie points in my mom's world for being with you today. Um, But thank you for having me. This is such a dream. Well, no, we became friends. I think now it's like three years ago. I think when we were in Puerto Rico together, we got to be with your beautiful family as well. And then we hung out in Napa more recently. And I know you and Radhi have been connecting and collaborating. And so I was so happy to, to do this with you. Honestly, it's it's my greatest joy to, you know, just see friends do incredible things and support them. And I think that all of us are really looking for that. I was saying to my team today that I really love doing what I do, but what I'm excited about is having history with people. So mm-hmm. I love the idea. Yes. One of my greatest values is when I'm 50 and then when I'm 75, it's like, I want to look back And I want someone to look back with. And Mm. that's why I think friendships are so important to me too, because when you can look back at 20, 30, 40, 50 years with the same people and say, look what we did, that's what we did. And that's what we did together. I, you know, I really appreciate that. So thank you for giving me this opportunity, but you, the title of your book is how are you really? And I love that you, you know, very much emphasize the importance of that question and the depth of that question because I think today we ask how are you all the time so I wanted to ask you to start off with and I'll answer the question too to be honest and vulnerable how are you really today uh, in this moment Uh, and then I'll have a go at telling you how I am really too I can't wait. You know, I I didn't make a mistake, but when I named the book that, I should have known 
that every time I talk to someone now they ask and I'm I'm being called into honesty, which I think is so beautiful. And there is such a big differentiator between like, how are you? And it's like, good, fine, busy. But like when you feel safe, especially when you're with someone that you love and you know, and they like lean in and they're like, but how are you really? You're like, okay. And I've been describing this season of my life. So I have two little ones, very little. So one is three, one is a few months old. And I said, this season of life, I feel stretched. And I feel stretched in a beautiful way because I have so much love for being a mom but I also have never loved my work more. And it just sometimes feels like a lot of love to carry. And it's like the fullness of it is never lost on me. And so we're in this season of like total sleep deprivation at home. My toddler recently started sleeping in a big girl bed. There are probably five times a night where there's a little one at my feet saying, mommy, mommy. And I'm in this season where it's like this energy can only come from something other than myself because I feel so electrically energized and excited about the work I'm doing, but also like the life I'm living offline. So to answer your question, it all feels heavy and full, but in the best way possible. Now, how are you really? <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for that very uh, full, rich and, you know, textured answer. I think one of the things I loved about what you said, and it's it's inspired my response as well, is you were saying that you're in a particular season. And I think that that is such a healthy way of thinking how you are. And I think often we do one of two things. We, we look at things too minutely, where it's like, this is how I am right now. And that can feel like a lot of pressure because I could feel totally different within 30 seconds of, drinking some water or going on a walk or looking outside the window. Or we sometimes say, well, this is how the year's going. And, and that's sometimes scary as well because it feels like we can't control anything until December 31st and we have to wait till Jan 1st again. So I love that you use the word season. And I would say that I'm in a season right now and I feel like I'm, I'm constantly in this season. I'm, I'm in a season of like lots of growth lots of being outside of my comfort zone. And I'm in a season also of, I'm actually finishing writing my second book right now. So I'm in the process of completing a creative journey that takes everything out of me. And I'm about to open up to a new world of creativity because I'm now gonna have that time and energy back to translate it in another direction. So I feel like I'm at this transition and I find that transitions are always tiring and exhausting because you're about to complete, let go and sign off on something. And then you're thinking about what to do next. And, and that's always like that little moment of discomfort and unease that yes. comes with that transition. So that's how I am really. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, it's interesting. There's so much that goes into writing a book that I think is surprising. And until you do the journey, you don't recognize that and one thing that i think is fascinating that our friend brenda burchard actually told me that i thought was so beautiful is that when you're writing a book it really does feel like your life's work right like you pour your heart and your soul and your everything into it and he said something to me and he said you know jenna um this is not your life's work this is an important piece of work in your life 
And I thought, oh, that is so beautiful because it's so tempting to like dive headfirst in and like kind of crawl out of the hole when you finally get there. So I thought that was such a good reminder for all of us who are working on projects or relationships or careers or whatever that might be or your health of like, this isn't your life's work. It's just an important piece of work in your life. Yeah. Wow. That That's such a refreshing perspective. And I, I love that little shift in mindset that changes it completely. But but let's dive in. You know, both of us gave very, I think, honest answers and, and vulnerable answers. And, you know, I, I think that it's probably taken us some time to get to be able to do that. And you talk about this in your book, the idea that some of us are actually afraid to answer that question yes. uh, and acknowledge the problems and the challenges and the discomfort that comes with that question. So we often find it easier to say, I'm fine, it's okay. You know, the usual, the same old. But you're actually saying that it's healthy to try and acknowledge, accept and go there. Why is it critical, necessary and integral for us to try and face the real answer to that question? Why is that so important? When I think about the question, how are you really? A lot of times people think about it in context of conversation with someone else. But really, when I think about it, it's about coming home to yourself. And we live in this culture where it's like we're constantly distracted. It's really easy for me as a mom to see it with children where you're like, children don't know how to be bored anymore. They don't know how to be creative anymore. They're so used to being like pacified with screens or different things. And when I look at it through the lens of children, I suddenly see, oh, wait, adults are like 10 times worse. We are the kind of people who bring our phones to the restroom with us. Like we skip Shavasana at the end of a yoga session because we don't believe we deserve the rest. Like there are so many ways that we avoid getting quiet with ourselves. And it's really easy to do because we are busier than ever, right? Like busy is the badge of honor. If you're busy, you must be doing well. And what I think is really fascinating about that is that we start to tune out like the whispers of like our own soul, like the divine pieces of ourselves that are guiding us so that we listen to the noise of the world. And it gets really uncomfortable and it gets really hard to discern, like, what is my intuition? What is my soul telling me? What is the world telling me? And how do these two coexist? And I think that in truth, you know, with the culture that we're in, they have to coexist. But there's a difference between being the passenger on a journey and being in the driver's seat. And a lot of times the noise of the world is the driver's seat for us. And our intuition might be that Garmin that hasn't been updated since 2010 that's telling us like redirect, redirect, redirect. And I feel like whenever I talk to people and they're going through a massive life change, whether it's a breakup or a career change or a health change, you ask them like, did you have that inner knowing? Like, did you have that ping? And a lot of times they'll say, yeah, I knew something was off or I knew I needed a change or I knew I was out of alignment, but I didn't listen. And so this idea of like, how are you really isn't necessarily just about in conversation. It's about how am I really? Am I faking that I'm enjoying my life? Am I putting on a public persona for the world online, but offline I'm miserable? Am I really yearning for something different? And so it's really this invitation to get quiet with yourself and to learn how to invite in that margin in that time. And Jay, you are one of the best at helping people get to that place. I mean, your meditations have been this constant in my life because it's this invitation of getting quiet. And I, I don't know about you, but for a long time, I've always just told myself, like, I can't meditate. My brain is too 
too busy. I operate at a higher level, all these things. But I had to train myself in how to do that just as I had to train myself to run a race or to work as hard as I do. Yeah, I love I love what you spoke about there and how it's beyond the conversation, but the idea of listening to our to our real selves and listening to that voice. And you're so right. I, I loved what you said about how we are constantly feeling or we say things like, oh, I wasn't aligned or I wasn't listening then. So that means we know it's there, but we keep trying to put it off. And it's almost like I it's it's I mean, this is a, a very crude example, but but it's just reality. I was having a bit of pain physically recently and it was recurring like it, it just kept coming up and more often. And then my trainer, my my uh, physical trainer, he said to me, he said, have you had this before we were working out or have you just had it now? And that got me to think about it. And then I started to think about it and I couldn't remember when. And then this weekend I went to a trampoline park with uh, one of my closest friends and their kid, like their son's like two years old. And so we went to a trampoline park, messing around with him on the trampoline park. Obviously I got too carried away. Uh, felt like I stretched something, came back again. I was like, oh no, it's definitely triggered through physical activity. Realized that two years ago, I felt the same thing while playing basketball. And I was like, wow, I've been feeling something physically for two years, but I waited for it to get really bad and happen more often to listen to it. To pay attention. To pay attention. Yes. And that's something physical. What about something emotional and mental and relational and people-based. And so I love what you said about the idea of listening and silence and stillness being the best place you can listen. How have you learned, and, and I'm intrigued by this, how have you learned as someone who is busy, who is a mother, who is an entrepreneur, who who is a wife, you play so many roles, you know, you, you're writing a book on top of all of that, how have you found what is stillness to you? And I'm asking that to you as who you are, because I think when people talk to me, they know I meditate. They know I have these practices. Yes. <laughs> I, I was lucky enough to be a monk for three years where I learned so many practices. But as someone who's in the real world, in challenging situations constantly, what does stillness mean for you and what does it look like for you? Yeah, there's this chapter in the book called My Soul Shavasana because I used to go to yoga and I did it for the workout. I like missed the whole point, right? Like it's called a practice, not an art. Like we're supposed to be practicing it. And as an achiever and someone who loves to achieve, I always was the person in the class like comparing myself. Like, did I get that bind? Can I do the headstand? And at the end of the class, it pained me to lay on the mat. Like I told myself, like, you didn't deserve this. You didn't sweat hard enough. You know, all of these things. And when I look at my life, it's so easy to delay rest. It's like we keep pushing the finish line further and further. I'll rest when, I'll rest then, I'll celebrate when. And we like keep pushing these lines out so that we never arrive. And what I think is fascinating is that I've honestly had to learn how to rest. I've literally had to look at it kind of like a couch to 5K, but in reverse. Like I'm running the 5K daily. How do I get myself back on the couch without feeling guilty, without feeling like I'm lazy or complacent or any of those things? Because 
I really think our culture has confused contentness with complacency. And if we're content, we believe that like we should be achieving more or we're not using our full potential. But I think being content is the most beautiful gift you can give yourself. It means that you're like fully in the moment. You're fully filled with gratitude. You're fully present. You're in life as it's happening. And so for me, getting quiet with myself, there's this part at the end of the book where I joke because I'm like, I love listening to like incredible personal development people who are like, you know, you wake up and you do your morning pages and you do your meditation and you do all these things because I think that's beautiful. But in this stage of life, I am clinging to every second of sleep I can possibly get because I'm up in the middle of the night. And so I'm like, oh my God, I would love those things. But rest comes in these tiny, infinite, small moments for me. And one of the things that I've had to do is that I often feel pulled in many directions. So there's this line out there for working mothers, because I believe all mothers are working, but specifically women with careers who are also mothers. And it's like, we're supposed to work like we don't have children and parent like we don't have a job. And that can really weigh on you. Like it can really pull you. And so I've had to adopt this practice of when I cross the threshold into a room, whether it's an office, my bedroom, the house, the living room, my daughter's room, like whatever that is, I have to really like plant my feet and like actually cross through with intention to just be here now because my brain could be thinking about an email while I'm reading Dr. Seuss and my I could be writing an email and thinking about nap time or or nursing or whatever it is and so I've really had to just invite stillness in really small segments in my life and prioritize that in a meaningful way but I really yearn for and look forward to those days where I can have more of that and I think think that, again, we look at seasons. And if I've learned anything specifically about motherhood, it's all temporary. It's all fleeting. It all goes by so fast. And so just kind of being where you are, but knowing where you want to go, that's kind of where I'm sitting today. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more too. I, I wonder, as you were saying that, and, and I'm literally just sitting with you and thinking with you and, and hearing you out. And I'm like, how have you made sense, Jenna, of your identity of who you are because I, you know, the book really does dive into like who you are. And and I find like we've we adopt so many titles. I, I often say to my team, I'm like, I find it really hard to choose a title for who I am and what I do. I really don't enjoy it. And so whenever they ask, like, oh Jay, what do you want us to put from your bio onto this thing? <laughs> yes. I'm like, I don't like that I you know human being being human yeah exactly 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 and (sighs) and when someone asks me like who are you and what do you do my answer to that is I am someone who's trying to help people discover their purpose and live up to their potential whatever that may be like that's who I am Uh, I'm not an author or a podcaster or a coach or which is all the things I have to say I am to make sense And then I think about that. How many things do we say about ourselves so that it makes sense to other people, but may stop making sense or feeling sense-like to ourselves? So how have you made sense of your identity as more titles, more expectations, more achievements and things come in the mix, more responsibilities? How do you see yourself? I'm intrigued by that. Yeah, I love this because I really struggled. So there's this idea of identity foreclosure. I learned about it on my podcast. There was an amazing woman, Dr. Maya Shanker, who came on and yeah, spoke about I love this idea Maya. of she's identity. On, yes. Yeah, she's been on. She's great. 
she's amazing. And she was talking about it and she said something that had just stuck with me. And she's like, it's the same reason why we hang on to jeans that don't fit and we complete degrees when we know we don't want to even finish them and work in that area. It's this idea of like, well, I've already come so far and why would I make that a waste of time or why would I change? And I have really had to learn how to welcome change into my life because I feel like I am constantly on the precipice of like who I am becoming. And for me, my career path has been all over the place. So I worked in corporate America, had a fancy five word title, then decided to pick up a camera. My camera became my vehicle out of that job. And Jay, just like you were saying, like author, podcast, all these things, those are just the vehicles to get your mission out into the world, right? Like they're not necessarily who you are. They're just the methods to get the message. And so it's been super interesting to me because I feel like I'm constantly changing and evolving. And to me, the mission matters so much more than the method. And so for me, like being a mom is like my number one thing. It's like my identity marker. And I think some of it too is because I yearned for it for so long. We went through a lot of obstacles in starting that. And so I always said like, if I'm ever fortunate enough to have that title, I will never take that title for granted because I watched other people get that. And it pained me to see like, you don't know the miracle that this is. Um, but I agree. I think that we are visionaries and the way that we do our work is like the missionary of the mission. And so it's like the methods of that. And so I always try, and I'm from the Midwest. So a lot of people aren't super familiar with the world we're in. And so try describing a podcast, to your 93 year old grandfather. <laughs> I'm like, grandpa, it's kind of like a sermon where I talk about business and it's like a radio show, but you can listen to it anytime. <laughs> and so it's like, none of that matters more than the mission and who we are. And I think who we are offline is more important than who we are online. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think the, I I always, I was saying to a friend yesterday, the other day that I feel like the stuff that I get to do in my private life is even more fun than the stuff I get to do in my yes. public life. Yes. And, and most people are unaware of the, the private life and, and, and I get joy out of it. And, and I think there's something about that that I think is important to protect what I, what I find fascinating about what you do though, Jenna, especially with this book is like, you're really trying getting people to bust the myths that our generation kind of adopted, like hustling harder, having to have this, have, have that, wake up at this certain time. And tell me about the times when you did hustle hard. And because what I find different about when you say that is you're not someone who didn't know how to hustle hard. You're someone yeah. who definitely Autopilot. knows how to hustle hard <laughs> and, and was successful hustling hard, but then realized its shortcomings, which is why I, I appreciate it from your perspective. So when you're in that corporate job in America and you're hustling hard, can you walk us through about why the romanticization about hustling hard kind of, you know, didn't work for you? So I want to preface this because I think this is an important point and I think your audience will really resonate with this, but I feel like we live in such a polarizing time in so many different ways. But part of that polarization is that we feel like we're, there's two camps, especially for achievers. There is the hustle culture camp and then there's the manifestation camp. 
The manifestation camp and the hustle camp, they believe that only one of these can exist. And so what's interesting about me and my book and my ideology is it's kind of like where the woo meets the work, like where the vision meets the action. And it's in a sustainable way that keeps you in your life. And so I tell this story about how I was in my corporate job and I sat down with my boss and she gives me my five-year plan, like gives it to me, doesn't ask me about it, doesn't ask me like, what do you want? What do you see for yourself? Like what's next for you? And it was this wake up call of like, I am literally climbing a ladder that someone else is putting in front of me without ever checking in. Is this what I want? Is this what I envision for my life? Do I want the promotion if it means more responsibility? Um, And I've had these different seasons in my life and I think that everyone hits them where there we look at our time and money, but we don't look at our energy. And I think energy is everything. And so there are seasons of my life where I traded my time in order to make money. And then there are seasons of my life where I have been able to take money and get back time, right? Things like Instacart or Uber or whatever that looks like. But a lot of times we forget about like our energy. And I don't know about you, but like I've arrived at certain places and I've gotten to these goals or these big milestones and I land there and I'm like, I thought this would feel different. Like it looks great, but I thought it would feel different. Maybe I'm not going hard enough. Maybe I need to do more. Maybe it's the next thing that'll feel good. And I've recognized that that's not the case. Like I want to live a life that feels better than it looks. And so I have had these seasons of hustle that have led to burnout. But after the burnout for me, I always have this breakthrough. And the breakthrough is usually that somewhere in the course of the pursuit, I got off the path. And now I've got to redirect or figure out a new map or reassess the direction I'm heading. And I've pivoted so many times in my career. And thankfully, I've pivoted successfully. But I've gone from being a photographer to a watercolor artist, to a speaker, to a podcaster, to a course creator, all of these different things. And I believe that people have followed me because of my energy, not because of the time or the money, but like they can feel the heart and they can sense the alignment. And so I feel like there's this really call to people to pay attention to like, how are you energetically feeling? Like I haven't slept a full night in three weeks, but I am so energized and excited because I've never been in alignment better in my work life. Like I've never felt more in alignment. And so it's this interesting thing where we focus so much on time and money and that a lot of times attributes to the burnout, attributes to the hustle. But if we check in with ourselves and see where our energy is, I think that can be the compass that then guides us forward. What are some of the things that you found that you feel drain your or our energy? And what are some of the things that give and drive your energy? Because as soon as you talked about the the ratio of time, money, and, and energy, I, I was completely with you. I, I think those money and time are always like the levers that we're trying to play with. And the real thing that we're missing out on is is energy. So I'm, I'm completely with you. But yeah, what are the things that drain and drive your energy or you think generally maybe more scalably drain and drive all of our energy? Yeah, I feel like if you pull up your calendar and you hate what you see coming up, that's a good sign that you're out of alignment. Have you ever looked at your calendar and you're like, who booked this? And then you're like, oh no, that was me. Like <laughs> I said yes to all of these things. And I have been in seasons like that um, and really recognize like I am not looking forward to life. Like I am dreading these agreements or I'm overextended or I'm stretched too thin and I feel it. And a lot of times it's us saying yes and not having boundaries. And so for me, I'm actually quite introverted. A lot of our friends surprise 
surprisingly are. We're the people that can stand on a stage and talk to thousands of people. But if we get into a room with strangers, we're like the ones like awkwardly standing in the corner. And so really paying attention to like, what sort of boundaries do I need to have in place that protect my energy, but allow me to do work that's meaningful. And so when the pandemic hit and life shifted, I was like, I have been training my entire life for this. I started my business in a town of 1200. I live in small town, Minnesota. I've been trying to convince people that so much can be done digitally over the years. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I can like open my laptop, do my work, close it and get back to life. And so I think it takes a really great deal of self-awareness because my husband, Drew, you know him, he's an extrovert. He could talk to anyone. It is his like greatest dream to like go to the gym and talk to Bob while they're walking around the path, like, and figure out his life story. And to me, that kills me, like small talk kills me. And so it's like, what is this self-awareness on what drains you and what drives you? And how do you try to pursue this blend of it? Because I think we're over this idea of balance. Like if you look at the definition of balance, it's maintaining a perfect balance of something. And like balance is a moment. It's not like something that you can master. And so for me, it's like, what does this blend look like? If I say my values are being a mom, but I'm committing to a work trip that takes me away for two weeks, am I in alignment with what I say is important to me? And I think a lot of people right now, if they looked at their calendar and they said, you know, my values are my health or my family or my relationships or this important work that I'm doing, but they looked at their calendar, they would see that they might have gotten off course. And that's not a bad thing. It's just an invitation to course correct. So in that example, which I think was such a great one, are you saying that we have to be more selective over our priorities in a particular season? Absolutely. If you are able to, and honestly, Jay, and I think it's important to note, like it's a privilege to be able to say yes and no to opportunities, right? Some people don't have that invitation to just say, you know, I'm not going to agree to that if that's something that's going to pay the bills. But at the same point in time, one thing that I've been doing a lot lately is if I get an invitation when I'm in person with someone, because I just like love people's energy and I'm so prone to say yes. I'm like the kind Midwest girl. I've been saying, let me check my calendar and get back to you on that. Because a lot of times when I overcommit on things, energetically in the moment, it feels right. But then when I look at it a week from now, a month from now, I'm like, oh, shoot, like I shouldn't have committed to this. So there are boundaries that I think can be really important that can buy yourself the time to really assess, is this the right opportunity? Is it shiny? Is it going to guide me forward? Is it going to serve others? Is this a clear yes or no? And I always think it's either like a hell yes or a heck no. And you've got to pick more of the hell yeses in your life. How have you learned to say no recently to people who you deeply love and people you know care for you and and then you still want to say no for your values? Like, have you have you had to do that recently? Like, how have you? Oh, I'm so good at how it. Have you, yeah, okay, tell us, walk us through that a little bit because I think yeah. I, I had to do it the other day. I had someone reach out and they were like, Jay, I need you to do this thing. And I, I send them my response, but I want to hear yours and then, and then I'll yeah. add to it. But yeah, tell, tell yeah. me how you deal with that. I'm intrigued. So boundaries are something that I think people are afraid of because when you think about boundaries, you think about like keeping something or someone out, right? Like you almost picture up like a fence around and that feels scary. But I have found that boundaries keep us in our life, like the life that we're meant to be leaving. And when we have good boundaries, it really invites us to like be awake to the life that we say we want. So for example, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, Coco, I blacked out the entire year following her 
her birth. I had not a single commitment on my calendar for an entire year. Now, was that scary? Absolutely. Did I fear that I would lose momentum? Yes. Did I wonder would I become irrelevant in that year? Of course. But I said that being a mother was the greatest gift, the biggest miracle that I could ever invite into my life. And you better believe I was going to live that way. And I just didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if I would thrive, if I would be flailing. Like I didn't know. And I wanted to give myself space and time to adjust to that new life and that new version of who I was. And so I put up bumpers. Like I think about bowling and I think about boundaries as like bumpers that keep us in the lane, that keep us aligned and from falling in the gutter. And so I told my team, I said, if any inquiries come in, I don't care who it is, I want for you to just send this polite decline to them. I don't want to hear about it because I'm going to want to say yes. I don't want to see it because it's going to make me antsy that I should do it. And I just want you to send this out. And if it's the right thing, I truly believe it will come back in the right timing. I believe that that will happen. And so I also have a note on my phone that I use often. And it's when I get an invitation that's wonderful or from somebody I love. And all it says is, oh my goodness, like, thank you so much for considering me for this opportunity. I'm so flattered and I'm so excited for you. Right now I have to politely decline and I want for you to know that this in me declining, it is not a reflection of you or your opportunity or the work that you're doing. It is solely a reflection of the values that I'm living. And me saying yes to you right now means that I'm going to have to say no to what is most important to me. And right now that is my family. I truly hope you understand. I can't wait to work with you in the future. I'm cheering you on as you go, wishing you the best. And I also include a caveat that says, I hope that in me doing this, it is an invitation for you to lean in and live out the values in your life as well. Wow, what a message. That's amazing. That's that's such a beautiful I message. I have it memorized because I need it often. I know. I was like, wow, that is that's like a deep, genuine word for word message. I I love that. I I mean, even just the the depth of that message is is so powerful. And I just want to take a moment, everyone who's listening or watching, just to acknowledge that that often you can have a message that says, hey, thank you so much. I'm grateful, but can't do this right now. I hope you understand. And that's great. But the depth of that message to even remind someone to follow their own values, to, to explain what your value is right now, I think so much is lost in not communicating our values and our priorities. And I don't think that we need to create a world where we can more easily explain our priorities and our values without feeling uncomfortable about them. And I think often people think they need to lie or make something up or construct I'm another. I'm busy. Right, I'm busy, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like when, when someone gets that message, not only do they not understand, you actually haven't helped them understand what they need to learn for themselves as well. And so, yeah, I went through it recently. I sent a similar message uh, where I was really explaining that I was like, you know, this is why I struggle with this. And I was even explaining my struggle and how hard it is for me to say no, but how I know that if I say yes, I'm actually going to let you down even more later. And, and I just wanted to make you aware of that. And yes, I did tell my life story a little bit, but it was the same point that I was like, I need to really explain the context behind this message and this no and I think what that ends up doing is it actually creates really beautiful opportunities. And I'll always say to someone, I'll say, I'm sure you can understand it. I'd love to know if you do. And 99% of the time, someone will come back and say, 
of course I understand it. I protect my time in the same way or whatever it may be. And, and then you go, oh, okay, we actually are more aligned than we think. So I, I love that advice. It's so great. Uh, Jenna, what, so, you know, the book's in three parts. The first part is who you are. Yes. And, and that's what we've been talking about. And I would highly recommend that everyone dives into it because the book talks about everything from uh, Jenna's childhood to, you know, her, her feelings about motherhood. And I, I am not asking her to repeat what's in the book. I, I would love for you to go and read the book uh, and dive into it and then helps you figure out who you are and, and how to be clear about your values and priorities, which we're realizing are so integral to know. And as we know, if we don't know our values and priorities, we will be living based on someone else's or a, an adopted sense of values and priorities. But in the second part of the book, you talk about who has you and who you have, right? And, and this, I think I gravitated towards this a lot because I think sometimes we, if we have good networks and communities and families and units, we often take it for granted because we assume that's just how life is. So can you talk to me a bit about how you've constructed healthy community and support systems around you and given yourselves the permission to lean on others, because I find like that's what most of us don't want to do is we don't want to depend on others and make people feel we're dependent on them. So the second part is that who you have and who has you, because I recognize that like we are in this season of life and in this area of like the world where we have never been more connected, but we also don't feel fully known. And I think there is nothing worse than being in a room filled with people and feeling lonely. Like loneliness isn't just the act of being alone. It's feeling like people don't know the real you. And I feel like we're in this world where that is so common. It's like, have you ever entered a building? and you know that if you just exit stage life left like no one would question who you were where you were if you were even there and I feel like we're kind of walking through life in that way and we're also in this era where people post you know bachelorette parties and there's like 20 people in matching swimsuits and you're like I have like three close friends and like is something wrong with me or like why don't I have this like village around me and a lot of it is because we aren't showing up, allowing ourselves to fully know others and to be fully known. And I think that the pandemic actually gave us this really unique invitation because for so long we were able to separate like career Jenna and mom Jenna and marriage Jenna and friend Jenna. And all of a sudden we're doing everything under one roof and we're forced to communicate in different ways. And we're forced to learn how to be a good friend from afar. And we're forced to be reminded that like we need to reach out just as much as we hope people reach out to us. And What's interesting is I've had this practice for, I don't know, probably 10 years where every single day when I think of people, I text them and it'll just be, I know I've sent you a few, I've sent your wife a few, like where if you come into my life or my mind or I see something and I'm like, oh, Jay would love that or whatever that is to just reach out. Like the universe is guiding me towards this opportunity to encourage or check in or just be there for someone. And oftentimes it comes in the form of like, no need to respond. Just want you to know I'm thinking of you or I saw this thing. Like if you want to share how you're doing, like just check in. Um, but 
when I think about when we're really feeling lonely, a lot of times our act is to like close up and to like close ourselves off. And I really think it's this really great opportunity for us to reach out and to seek. And when you bring up like help, there's this chapter where it's like when one plus one equals a million. And it's my story about how I like was white knuckling so much of my life. I think a lot of us do that where we wear all the hats. We can do it. We're just getting by. We're holding on with all of our might to like keep the control. And life often gives us these opportunities or it forces us to open up our hands. And for me, when we went through two pregnancy losses, I was in this place where I was like, I have to show up to work. I had to show up and shoot a wedding as a wedding photographer after getting this news. And I recognized like, I cannot do this anymore. Like I cannot, I have built something that requires me to show up to get paid. And right now I can't show up and I can't keep doing this to myself because life is not always going to invite us to show up. Sometimes life calls us to like slow down and to be and to sit. And I had run my business by myself for years and years and years. And I finally got to a place where I said three words, I need help. And it transformed everything for me. And it's been really fascinating being in this season of motherhood and launching a book and all of these different things where I'm like, usually I'm the helper. And so asking for help is so uncomfortable, but it stretches you in ways that allows you to invite people in. And one of my friends, Allie Stroker, she is in a wheelchair. She's an incredible actress. And she once told me this story that totally changed the way I look at asking for help. And she said, a lot of times people will come and try with good intentions to help me in my wheelchair when really I don't need it. But I've learned to recognize that for some people being the helper is the greatest gift I can give them. And when she said that, it really made me pause and think there are so many people in my life who love to help, who find joy in being the helper. And if I can give them the invitation or the opportunity to do that, suddenly who I have and who has me expands. And a lot of times it's like our pride. It's like pride's utter chokehold that like keeps us from like opening our hands to what's possible. And so it's that white knuckling that is not something that you can maintain. And it's something that really keeps greatness out of your life. Yeah. And, and, and Jenna, you touched on it there. It was, you know, I really admired your bravery for doing it in the book as well. You, you talk about the time where you found out that your, you know, your baby didn't have a heartbeat. And, and I feel like, you know, that the book is, is, full of that level of vulnerability. And I think you talk about a lot of things that we also don't ever talk about. Uh, and and definitely, obviously, no, people don't, we don't announce it on Instagram and that potentially isn't the right forum anyway. But I wanted to ask you about when you look at that community around you, one of the things that's really benefited me, I said this to someone the other day, they were like, oh, you, it seems like you make some really good decisions in your life. And I said, yeah, because I had people in my life who told me all the bad decisions they made. Mm, And I'd say all the good decisions I've made in my life is because I've had a few older people in my life who've told me about all their bad decisions. And that gave me so much hindsight and it gave me so much awareness that it allowed me the space to think about things a bit ahead of the time. And so I can't take any credit for the good decisions I've made. I can only take, I can only give the credit to the people who shared their either poor decisions with me or as in your case, you do in this book, challenges or heartbreaks that they went through 
in order to be hopefully more prepared or or more equipped to to deal with certain things and so i was like the best mentorship is actually not good advice the best mentorship is just an honest experience of what someone's going through can you talk to me a bit about like how you've shared and how people have shared with you and how that's such an important part of building that community and you're doing it through the book of course there are so many things that are taboo, which is crazy, where it's like so many people are experiencing it and it's a part of the human experience, but nobody's talking about it. And it is so isolating, right? Like you feel like you are broken or you are the only one or it's your fault that you went through something. And years ago, we lost one of our best friends in a car accident. And I found myself going back to his social media feeds to feel connected to him. And he didn't know when he was talking about Taco Bell or posting that funny family guy meme that like that would be a part of his legacy, right? Like we don't think about that, but every single post we're hitting publish on online is a piece of our legacy. Like we don't do what our parents did and have scrapbooks and all the little, you know, trinkets and put it in an album. These days it's so digital. And I remember when I found myself like going to look through his old tweets or things just to feel connected to him. I vowed to myself that like what you see online will never be just a highlight reel. It will always be real, like R-E-A-L, my real life. And I have stuck by that through thick and thin, through the good, through the bad, because when I get reminded of a memory on Facebook, I want to remember that actual moment and not just the shiny. And when we went through our pregnancy loss, for me, part of it was helping people to feel less alone because one in four people, women, experience that. But two, it was to give meaning to the experience. I think as people that are optimistic or positive people, where I was like, life is teaching me a lesson. And even when that lesson is inconceivable or you don't have a reason or you can't really pinpoint what that is, I really clung to this belief that like I'm going to give meaning to this mess no matter how I can. And there's this story in the book that I love, um, and it's called What Brooke Shields Doesn't Know. And I was at this event um, with all these incredible women, and there was this president of a company that I worked with, and she was a woman, and um, she came up to me, and we were talking about her children, and she said, do you know that I went through IVF seven times in order to have my daughter? And this is like years ago, like a decade ago. And I said, oh my God, how many times did you want to give up? And she said, never. And I said, how is that possible? Like IVF is the most excruciating process. Like there are so many layers to it and so many things and so many hopes and dreams and failures and things that you just like hate going through. And she said, I didn't give up because one time I was watching an interview and Brooke Shields said that she did IVF seven times to conceive her daughter. And if she can do it seven times, so can I. And I think about like that Brooke Shields doesn't know that she's responsible for this beautiful girl named Maggie who lives in New York City, but her vulnerability in sharing that story inspired a total stranger to get herself in the ring of something that was told to be impossible by doctors, but created a miracle. And I think that stories have this opportunity to do this. And I think that vulnerable stories invite people to, again, step into their own vulnerability. And I've learned so much about like the things that I try to keep hidden, the things that I'm afraid to share, the things that I'm thinking that everyone else is thinking about me. 
Those are called the human experience. Those are the things that connect me so much more than pretending like I have it all together. Or I don't have insecurities or that I don't worry. And so I've just believed in the power of story and the power of real. And when you put real story to life, that's what really transforms other people's lives. Yeah, and I, and I definitely think you do that in this book so so wonderfully, right? Like there's there's so many stories, whether it's personal, whether it's career-based. You know, I think it's so important. One of the things I tried to do in Think Like a Monk when I wrote it was I don't talk about any enlightened experiences. So I talked about all my worst meditation experiences. Yeah. Because the goal was... It's relatable. Because it's relatable and it's true. Like there were just so many poor meditation experiences. And I think it's very easy to be like, well, you know, this was this amazing experience I had. And everyone's like, well, you know, like, like you just said, like someone's gone through seven of the most difficult, excruciating things to get there. But that story is so much more powerful. Tell me a bit about, you know, the third act of the book goes into like people setting their goals, living their truth, achieving it making a plan. I want to ask you a different question because the book breaks down how you do that and what to do. So so for anyone who's wondering how Jenna goes from who you are to who you have and who has you to then what you're going to do about it to actually build it through, what I'm more intrigued by is what's a worthy goal? Like what's a worthy pursuit? Because I feel like everyone talks about goals and goal setting and everyone kind of has goals or may have goals, but when I was young, all we ever learned about was setting smart goals, right? Specific, measurable, yes. <laughs> achievable, realistic, and time-bound. But no one ever told me what a worthy goal was. And as I've gotten older, I, have, I do believe that there are worthy pursuits and there are pursuits that will let us down. As you said, there's so many goals that you hit and you go, well, is that it? So, so how do you help people think about, is there a way of knowing what a healthy worthy pursuit or goal is? Yeah, I think it's one that feels good, that the pursuit feels good and the end product feels right. And for me, I think it's really interesting. I remember, Jay, we were together in Puerto Rico and Brendan, threw, Brendan Burchard led us through this exercise and it was envisioning these scenes that we want for our lives. Like what would true success look like? And he had already gone through the exercise of like envisioning your best moments of life, all of these things. But I loved how he framed it because it was like envision these moments before they happen so that when they happen, you are fully awake to them. And for me, the scene that I envisioned was like pancakes on a Saturday morning, looking out at the lake with my family. And it's funny because every time we make pancakes on a Saturday morning, Drew will look at me and I will be like teary eyed and he'll be like, we're living it. Like this is the scene and we're awake to it because how many successful people do you know who have done all of these amazing things in their life? They say they missed it. They missed it because they were just in pursuit of the next thing or the journey didn't feel good or they arrived and it wasn't where they thought they wanted to be. And so when it comes to setting a goal, I want you to ask yourself, what feels good? Like what in the pursuit feels good? And here's an example. I did this visualization exercise after our two losses. I was like unpacking my grief and really trying to like face it because I had buried it the first time. And I was like, I've got to figure out how to not move on from this, but how to move with my grief. Like how do I move forward carrying this grief with me as a changed person? And I did this visualization exercise and 
my friend was leading me through it and she was like, envision the most vibrant version of yourself. Like you are fully alive, energized, excited about what you're about to do for your day. And she said this line where it was like, put your fingers in the finger slots, like step into where your toes are. Like, what do you see and what do you feel? And it was funny because I was doing this meditation. There are tears streaming down my face and I'm envisioning this little girl and pancakes and Drew and this Persian rug and like all of these things. And in this vision, I had on jeans and a white linen shirt. And I opened my eyes after the visualization and I had on yoga pants and like an old college t-shirt. And I was like, I want the baby and the pancakes, but if I can't even live today with the jeans and the linen shirt, how do I expect to become a fully different person when the thing that I want arrives, right? Like sometimes the waiting season is just as important as what it is that we're waiting for. And the same thing goes for goals. Sometimes the journey of working towards the goals should be enjoyed just as much as achieving the goal itself. And so I've learned how to make sure that the pursuit feels good, but that the goal is truly my definition of success because my definition of success isn't shiny. It's not great. It's literally a bag of gluten-free pancakes, but when I'm living it, I know it and I'm awake to it. And I think nowadays it's like with the internet, you could follow the fashion blogger and then follow the home decor and then follow the health net. And our brain tricks us into thinking that we need to do and be all of those things in order to be happy. But if we go back to the beginning of the conversation where we talk about like contentedness is a gift, it's not complacency. Like how can you be at peace with your life? And what does that look like as you work towards the goal? And so for me, it's like more so about the journey, because if we know anything, the journey is 90% of the pursuit and the actual goal achieving is 2%. And so I want my life to feel good while I'm working towards that thing. Yeah, I think that's a great definition. And I'm really glad you clarified that because I think we often set goals by default. We adopt goals from our parents, our friends, our family, Instagram, TikTok, social media. We we just, we have a goal without even knowing we have one. And so I think making it a more conscious, intentional process is so important. And I encourage everyone who wants to live their truth, who wants to authentically discover who they are, who wants to make a shift or a change in your life right now. Maybe you're going through a transition. Maybe you know you need to start one. Please order Jenna's book today because it will truly guide you and be that helping hand that we all need on that path. And sometimes I think a lot of people, and, and I can honestly say this for myself, and that's I, I truly back what I'm about to say, is that I often felt alone in my transitions in life from a physical point of view. But I would say that books and people in books have definitely been that navigation guide and helping hand that I've needed. And so often I haven't necessarily been able to turn to someone right next to me to know what's going on because they may not have experienced what I'm experiencing, but someone in a book has experienced that or experienced something similar. And that I feel now so close to that person that I've never met. Uh, and most of the people I'm talking about are not even alive uh, from books that I've read. So I really believe that, that if you're in that transition, if you're in that journey, if you're struggling with who you are, if you're trying to figure out the people around you, if you're trying to make a career change, if you're having you know, struggles with motherhood and that journey and your identity right now, Jenna really, I want to be honest, like very vulnerably and honestly captures her story and, and shares the insights to help see what you can apply. Uh, Jenna, I thank you so much for writing this book, for thank you for taking the time today. And as you know, we end every On Purpose episode with a final five, 
which is a fast five round where every question has to be answered in one word or one sentence maximum. Deal. So Let's Jenna Kutcher, you I've ready? I've trained my whole life for this. You've trained your whole <laughs> life for this. You're, you're already prepared. Okay. So the first question is, what is the best advice you've ever received? Done is better than perfect. Nice. I like that. We've never had that on the show, which is good. What is the worst advice you've ever received? Just keep on reaching. What is the first thing you do every morning and the last thing you do every night? Look at my baby monitor. <laughs> I love it. The honesty. <laughs> See, this is why I asked that question. I love, love the honesty. Uh, fourth, what is the biggest risk you've ever taken? Leaving my nine to five job to become an entrepreneur. Nice. And fifth and final question. If you could make one law that everyone in the world would have to follow, what would it be? To take a gap year before doing what you think you want to do and figure out who you are. Wow, great advice. I like that one. I, I took one before university and one three after. So definitely, you definitely. It. You're the I, example. I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I agree with that advice. Everyone, Jenna Kutcher, the book is called How Are You Really Living Your Truth One Answer at a Time? Make sure you grab a copy of the book. And Jenna has a special uh, gift for us that we're going to get as part of this. Uh, I want you to head over to jennacutcher.com forward slash Jay. Uh, we will put the link in the captions and the show notes and everywhere else. So jennacutcher.com forward slash Jay, as in my name, Jay, uh, J-A-Y. And you will be able to see this amazing gift that she's going to give you a bit of a sneak peek about. So Jenna, over to you. Yeah. So I wanted to think about how this would be most valuable because my book is not about finding my truth or sharing my truth, but inviting you to find your own. So I gathered a bunch of our incredible mutual friends and did deep dive interviews that aren't public. You cannot find them anywhere and put together a course that is in theme with the book. So on topics like identity, career, relationship, balancing things, shifting careers, all of those things. It is all inside of an incredible free course that you cannot get anywhere else. And you will get it when you pre-order or order the book. And you can find that at jennacutcher.com slash Jay. I love it, Jenna. Thank you so much for doing that because, yeah, like you said, I, I think so many of these things are things we're all struggling with. We need to hear it from lots of different voices, lots of different faces. And so the fact that you've brought them all together is just absolutely brilliant. So please, everyone, check that out. Subscribe for that. Sign up for that at jennacutcher.com forward slash Jay. Uh, Jenna, thank you so much for joining me today. I can't wait to see you again. I can't wait to see your family again. I'm just... Uh, so grateful we got to take this time out. I really hope everyone will read your book, devour it, apply it, practically put it into their life. Uh, and I can't wait to see it change so many lives. So thank you for this work. Uh, thank you for your life. And thank you so much for this opportunity. Mm, thank you for pouring in to all of us. I'm speaking on behalf of all of your listeners, myself included. I know that you have left a huge lasting imprint. And I think it's really easy as someone who creates to forget all of the incredible ways that you are creating ripple effects in lives, in generations, in families. And I can speak from my family's experience. You have done just that. So thank you for the work that you do. No, thank you so much. Uh, everyone who's been listening or watching, make sure you follow Jenna across social media and make sure you tag Jenna and I with any of the nuggets of wisdom, the insights, even pages from her book. Take screenshots, tag us both. Let us know what's resonating with you, what's connecting with you. I genuinely love seeing you with a book open from the podcast. 
with sharing something from one of our guest pages because to me it it shows that we're connected it shows that we're listening learning from each other and so i genuinely go on instagram myself uh regularly and will you know go through posts and tags and everything and i love seeing you all bring so much love to the podcast uh thank you so much for listening everyone i'll see you again next week for another episode and a big thank you to jenna again thanks everyone <laughs>